Good morning, Village. It is good to see people again. And um, yeah, my, my kids, as we were leaving and coming today, they're like, we're in the real world. This is so exciting. And so um, we are excited to see you. And, and not just because we've been quarantining for two years. But um, <laughs> this morning is a special morning. Not only is it Vision Sunday, but it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. And every year we, we honor and recognize Sanctity of Life because it's the Sunday that's closest to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade and that ruling. And we want to remind ourselves that as a church, as a people of God, we believe in the sanctity of life because human life is created in the image of God. This isn't just something we're making up, but the fact that it's rooted in the image of God, that means something. And so we want to honor that and we want to recognize that every year. This year, we are honored to have um, Deborah, the director of Horizon, with us. Horizon Pregnancy Clinic, an organization that we support as a church and try to help in various ways because they are doing a wonderful work here in Orange County to save lives and to save babies' lives. And so we'd like to play, I know, I know it can be a little hard to see the TV, but we'd like to play a PowerPoint that has a video in it. And then we'll invite Deborah to come up and share with us because today launches our baby bottle campaign that we do every year where we get to physically and tangibly support them and do something significant. Good morning, y'all. I'm not even from the South, but I love that word. You guys, this is so such a blessing to be here and an honor to be here with you today. Um, I just, Sanctity of Life is such a, an important part of our everyday life at Horizon, where we meet women where they are. Many of you know what we do. Um, many of you have volunteered, support us already. So I'm just here today to say thank you for that and share a few stories of, do you mind if I put my sunglasses on? Sorry. It's not the sun, it's you guys, the brightness of the Lord coming through. <laughs> so a couple things that struck me today. Um, during worship, I thought, wow, God is so good, right? Because he's using this church to reach people that are hearing your worship, hearing your words that you may never have even thought of. Um, so it just that just struck me as how, how good is God that he's using every ounce of this tragedy, this pandemic, um, to, for his good and his glory. So just thought and it just made me pray for people that are three houses deep that might be alone and isolated that are being blessed by you all so you guys are helping us to not leave anyone in the corners in a mighty mighty way I'm gonna cry okay it's been almost a year since I've gotten to talk to people publicly so I'm grateful um, we had 290 babies alone last year that are on your planet, on this planet, because of you. And I think that might be close to filling your sanctuary, just to give you a little idea of how many lives that is. And that is, we were up by, uh, last year we had 210. So during this time, and also, mobile was shut down for most of the year. So because of the confined space, we couldn't take mobile out. So. Even with having mobile shut down, we were still able to have that many babies and moms come through our clinic, and they are more abortion-minded than ever. So a couple things I do want to share with you guys that um, last year, we were definitely, God was definitely on the move. We added abortion pill reversal 
And what that is is um, a woman that takes the abortion pill, which is more and more readily available. They can get it online now and delivered to their home without a doctor's prescription. So this is the wave. It's going to be harder and harder for us to reach these girls. So we do need you to pray for that specifically, that things will change because it's getting, they're almost going to take it like the morning after pill. They're sexually active and then they, well, I may as well just take this just to be safe. There is already a pill for that morning after, but this is the actual, they can take this pill up to 11 weeks. It's supposed to be 10 weeks, but Planned Parenthood gives it to them until they're 11 weeks. So they're, they're having these abortions at home by themselves. Um, so that's a, tragi a tragedy, but there is hope. We can administer them progesterone, which restores life to the baby. So we have, last year we saw twen over 20 women that had taken that abortion pill, and I think we have eight that will be alive soon, and one, for a couple that are born already, um, and we have great stories, great testimonies, great videos to share with you guys. So there is hope out there, and, and we are that little island of hope. So um, to see those babies where their moms actually took the pill and their little lives is tremendous. So I want to praise the Lord for that. And the other thing that we've added recently, in October, we're STI testing. So they come to us, and it's what this does for us. We're not opening it to the general public. We're not doing men. It's just for women that are pregnant and are seeking an abortion. So we have the ability to give them the testing and have them come back a week later for their results, whether it's positive or negative, because we want to meet with them one more time. We want to give them another ultrasound. We want to talk to them. It's another opportunity for us to meet with them, touch them, love on them, and show them God's love. We have, um, just since October, we did about 30 tests already, and about half of those have chosen life because of the opportunity that we met with them again. So God has been growing and showing himself in our work on a daily basis. And again, we can't do it without you guys. We appreciate your prayers. Um, and I do want to share with you, this is hot off the presses, uh, during worship, I got a little beep on my phone, and you know, I'm like, that's rude. You don't read your text during worship, Deborah. But I realized it was a client. So I'm going to cry again. Sorry. Can't help it. Um, so she says, all right, um, I'll just read you a portion of it. It's pretty long, but I want, I want you to hear this from her words. <clears throat> And she was planning to parent, but she had suffered a miscarriage. And she's one of our own, right? It's like somebody from your church that supports us would come to me and say, can you help me? So, the, but the, the, her wording is so appropriate. What the clinic has done to offer is nothing short of God's goodness and compassion for these women and men who are going through a life-changing transition, let alone giving a tiny human inside you. Right? Am I the only one? That's just incredible. So today is the baby bottle campaign. And what that does for us is supports us financially, but you can also take it and pray for us. Prayer is the biggest, most powerful tool that we have. We have prayer lists that we send out every week. Most of you, some of you might even be on that. 
So just take a bottle if you, you're not financially able. Keep it if you'd like and pray for us on a, on a daily basis. And um, we still need volunteers. And I want to thank Jennifer for her years of sacrifice to be there with us, to support us. And there she is. <laughs> um, God's using her in other ways now. But you matter. Your support, your prayers, your time, all of this matters. And it's way bigger than any of us could even imagine. Hold tight to that and praise the Lord. Anything that I said, I think that's good. Thank you so much. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and pray for Horizon and Deborah and all the staff there. Lord God, we, um, we come to you because you are sovereign over all, and you give us the strength to fight the battles we need to fight in this dark world. And right now we pray for Horizon Pregnancy Clinic, and I pray for Deborah, I pray for every staff member there, every person that meets with a client, and every person that gives an ultrasound, Lord. I pray for your strength on them, that they would have strength to continue the fight, even in um, difficult days and in good days, Lord, that they would know that they are making a difference, that they would be reminded of those 200-plus lives that were saved, Lord, and that that would give uh, meaning for that. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of our elected officials to change the laws of the land, to make abortion more difficult. Lord, I pray that beyond that, you would change culture to make abortion unthinkable. And Lord, I pray that people would see the truth of these little lives and see the truth that these lives are made in your image. They are already human beings. And Lord, we are called to protect them. Lord, I pray your hand on this ministry that you would do powerful things through Horizon and through every pregnancy clinic, Lord. We ask for your strength and your power and for a change in our culture. In your name, amen. Thank you for being with her. For those online, watching online, um, I know it's a little harder to get a baby bottle through the TV screen, and we, we haven't figured that out yet. We're working on it. No, um, but what we'll do is we'll post, they have a flyer for online giving and, and basically a virtual baby bottle campaign. I'm going to post that flyer on our Facebook page a little bit later today, and um, we'll get that to you. Or you can stop by the office sometime, pick up a bottle. And if that is a way that works for you. So we want to include everyone watching online as well as everyone here. But be part of this. This is just an important ministry for us. So, Well, today is Vision Sunday, um, beginning of the year. I know we're a couple weeks in, thanks to some, some different things in our lives with COVID. And, but we're here, and we're, we're beginning. I love Vision Sunday. Because Vision Sunday gives us a chance to sort of reboot, refresh, evaluate where we've been, where we need to go, and it protects us against drift. We don't want to just be a church that comes and hears some, some good songs on Sunday and maybe a nice talk out of the Bible and then goes home. We are called on mission, on purpose here, and it's important to remember that. There's something comforting about remembering that too. You know, if you're on a trip and Let's say you're, you're going to Idaho or something like that. And you're driving to Idaho. It is comforting to see a sign every now and then that says Idaho straight ahead, right? It's, it's awkward if it's like New Mexico next exit or whatever. It's like, oh, no, we're on the wrong road. Whereas a Vision Sunday allows us to remind ourselves where we're going and make sure we're going the right direction. Make sure we're all going the right direction. 
There is something powerful about an entire church being on task and on the same mission rather than 200 different missions. And so we, we take a time every year to look at our vision, to remind ourselves of our vision. And sometimes we remind ourselves of our core values. Sometimes we remind ourselves of, of some other principles we're following. But this morning, as I've talked with the elders and pastors, this morning we just have a direction we want to go this next year that is, is on our hearts for how we follow 2020. What does 2021 need to look like in response to all the fun of 2020 and all the enjoyment we've had in 2020 and the challenges we've had? And, and the best way I can explain it, how many of you have seen the movie Up? I know it's a little older one. I'm dating myself now. Remember the dog? What was his name? Doug, right? D-U-G, Doug. Yeah, right? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, um, and, and throughout the whole movie, what was a the running theme? squirrel and he's off doing something a squirrel and he's off doing something else and and as as I have watched my life and what I have fought in 2020 as I've watched our church and what we've gone through and you guys have been marvelous in your flexibility in staying the course but it has been really hard not to have a lot of squirrel moments in 2020 oh COVID squirrel Oh, we have to meet outside. Squirrel. Oh, we can't meet. Squirrel. Oh, the election is happening. And we have all these things that are distractions for us. There have been many distractions this last year. And I, I will challenge you. I don't think they're going away this year. Um, life has a bunch of distractions. What are some things that distract us? You can interact a little bit. What are some things that might distract us? Worry about the future, absolutely. I guess I can't get in front of the speaker. <laughs> what else? What, what can be distracting? Finance concerns. Anyone have finance concerns the last year or maybe the coming year? Yeah, okay, lots of hands. What else? What can be distracting? What was that? Politics. Yeah, let's say the, the elephant in the room. Politics can be distracting. It can be consuming, right? No one here has ever, like, on election night, stayed up 12 hours to watch the results that you know aren't coming in that night anyway. Um, anything else? What can be distracting? Fear. I didn't hear the one over here. Video games. Never. But, uh, I apologize for a lingering cough this morning. Um, I know some of you have, are like, you've had that 10 years. It's back. Um, <laughs> so we can get distracted by, by, by health issues, right? Um, by, by sickness, by trials, anxiety I put down. Personal desires can distract us. I want this for 2021. I have this as a goal. And that begins to consume us and take us away from what we, we really need to be about. Life, if we're, if we're honest, life can be distracting. Life is distracting. And we can also be distracted by good things, okay? We think of distractions as bad things. Good things can distract us from the main thing. And so the, the student with, with a whole bunch of extracurricular activities that is struggling to get their homework done and now can't go to youth group and, and can't do quiet time or anything. Video games I did write down as, as one of those. Um, the engaged couple that focuses so much on the perfect wedding that they forget about preparing for the marriage. Work can be distracting. 
especially if you're in an essential job that's requiring a ton of overtime right now. That can be a challenge. These are good things, though, that can be challenges. Driving kids to the next great activity instead of building relationships. And so good things can also be distracting. All of these things can distract us from the main things. And you've already heard me in the last month or two talking a lot about keeping the main thing the main thing. And you heard both of the other pastors talk about that. as a church want to be undistracted from the purposes and focus that God has for us? To be undistracted. And so that's our theme for this year. Undistracted. How are we going to keep the main things the main things? How are we going to be not distracted from doing the very things that are the most important things that God has called us to do? And, and as I talk today, you need to know I'm speaking from my own life as well. I've had my nights of deep dives on Facebook or politics or facts about the virus or the latest laws and trying to figure out what is there. And, and some of those are needed things to research, especially for the church. But when they become the ultimate thing, then they become an idol and they become a distraction to the true main thing. I've watched us as a church struggle with this as at times we're more concerned about politics or more concerned about whether or not we should wear masks than we are about the gospel. And so I am calling us this morning back to main things. I'm calling us to be undistracted because I believe we have an incredible year in front of us as a church, an exciting year if we set aside the distractions and all the time we spend on those and we seek God and to do his work. And we spend that same amount of time to seek God and to do his work. And I am excited to see what God does with that focus. Our main thing is to make Jesus the most important thing in our lives. And if, if we just boil it down, we're to make Jesus the most important thing in our life. And that's going to involve, we're going to see it out of Second Corinthians, seeking him and doing his work. And, and as I was thinking this morning, what verses do I want to go to? There are so many places that this theme of putting Christ first and seeking him first and keeping the main things the main things. There are so many places we could go. I had pages of verses. I'm like, well, I don't think people want to stay till 3 in the afternoon. And so really, I just want to look at two specific passages, one main one, and then we'll bring in the Psalm one. But turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we studied 2 Corinthians 5, five or so years ago, but it's good to be reminded. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at 18 through, through 21 in chapter 5, and then the first part of chapter 6, because we're going to be able to learn both from Paul's instruction and from his example how to be undistracted, or some ways to be undistracted, some things to look for and to be on, on guard for that can distract us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. And the first thing that we see in these first three, four verses is answering the question, what's the main thing? Okay, and we say a lot, keep the main thing the main thing. Well, if the main thing is video games, then, hey, we should play video games all the time. That's not the main thing. So the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing, we see that starting in verse 18, where Paul says, 
all this is from God. Everything that he's talked about, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so right from the start, and he's going to expand on this in the next few verses, he says, here are your marching orders. Here's the main thing. Christ reconciled us to himself, and then he gave us his ministry. He gave us that ministry of reconciliation. And think about reconciliation for a minute, right? Reconciliation is a very relational term. If I am reconciled with my wife, that means we weren't reconciled before. We had some, some disagreements. And, and then, well, I was going to say when she found out I was right, but that's not usually how it happens. Um, and then at some point, through humility and coming together and, and apology and talking it through, we reconciled, and the implication of that word is our relationship is restored. And so when Paul says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, God restored relationship with himself through the work of Christ on the cross. This is the gospel, right? This is the beauty of the gospel where our sin, everything we've done that is wrong, has separated us from God. We've walked away from our relationship with God, and God sent his son Jesus to pay for that sin because we can't be in relationship with God while there's sin in our lives, while it's unpaid, while it's not undealt with. And so Jesus died on the cross, bore the punishment for our sins in our place so we can have relationship with the God who created the universe, so we can have relationship with the God who is most high that we just studied in Daniel, who is sovereign over all things, who holds all nations in his hands, the gospel says he wants to be in relationship with you. And since we can't do it, he made a way for that to happen. And so the first part of the main thing is seeking that relationship. Seeking God and doing his work are the two parts. The first part there is seeking God, being reconciled to God, pursuing him. A main thing in my life needs to be my relationship with God. How am I growing that? How am I feeding that? How am I daily being reconciled to God? Letting him change me from degree to degree every week. And then the second part of that verse, you catch it there, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He has said, okay, I've reconciled you. I've brought you into relationship. Now your job is to help others be in relationship with me. These are marching orders that become our main things. This is a, a different way of wording the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. This is a different way of wording that, but it's still the main thing. And so as we go through the year, as we think about being undistracted, I want us to think about how am I seeking God and how am I doing his work? That I mean, just, just simplifies it. Everything I do, I should have that in mind. How am I seeking God and doing his work? In verse 19, just in case we don't get it, I love that Paul does this and the Holy Spirit directs him to do it. Paul repeats it because he knows that we don't always get things the first time. Maybe you do and maybe your kids do. I don't always get things the first time. And so verse 19, that is in Christ, that is, let me repeat it for you. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's the cross. That's the gospel. Not counting their trespasses against them. And then the second part, doing his work, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Think of the weight of that phrase. God has entrusted to you and I, he has left the gospel in our care and trusted us in that care to share that with a world that needs him. And so he has entrusted us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 adds to it. Paul doubles down and, and really helps us understand how pervasive this main thing is to be. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Think about ambassador, right? We, in the news all the time, you have an ambassador to this country or an ambassador to this country. And, and they go to that country and they represent the United States in that country, right? Do they only represent the United States from 9 to 5? No, when you're an ambassador, you represent the country you're from 100% of the time, 24-7. Because you are a representative all the time of that, of that country. The same is true of this usage. We are ambassadors for Christ. Our main thing, 24-7, is to represent Christ in this lost and dark world. And, oh, if there's a year where people are going to be open to the gospel, I think this might be it. People are desperate for hope. They are desperate to know truth. And, and we're to be ambassadors for that. And so the main, what is the main thing? Seeking God and doing his work. There's a parenthesis at the end of 20 and into 21 where Paul just, it, it just shows that this is the main thing for him. You know, Paul just exclaims out sometimes, and you can see what's important to him. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Seek him, have that relationship. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul just, he can't help himself. He repeats the gospel here. And he says, for, for our sake, because God loves us, because we can't save ourselves, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. And the theology is so wonderful here. It's so rich. Because we see that Jesus is fully God and fully man, completely without sin. But we see clearly on the cross, Jesus took our sin on himself and traded with us. He got our sin, we got his righteousness. I feel like we win in that deal. And, and, and that is the good news of the gospel. And we're seeing that this is the main thing for Paul. The main thing. And so if that's the main thing, how can we be undistracted from the main thing? And that's, that's where the next verse, and I think the example of the next 13 verses goes. We need to be undistracted from the main thing. And, and, and in verse 6, they're working together with him or with God the Father, because we're partners in this endeavor. We're ambassadors for him. We're his spokespeople. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. There's a lot of discussion of what that means, but I think the best way to look at this is this, he's writing to a church that has already received the grace of God, right? The church at Corinth. And the assumption of this, this sentence is they've already received the grace of God. The question is, what are they going to do with it? What difference is it going to make? And Paul is saying, don't receive it in vain, which means emptiness or, or void or nothingness. If, if we receive the grace of God, if we're reconciled with God, if we seek him and do nothing with it, that's worthless. It actually isn't a true relationship with God, according to James, because the fruit will match the relationship. 
And if there's no fruit, there's no relationship. And so Paul here, when he says not to receive the grace of God in vain, this is a statement of focus. This is a statement saying, don't be distracted from this. Don't worry about everything else, everything else that you're not putting the grace of God into action. And so then we can dig in. We, we see that heart, that he wants us to do something with it. The Holy Spirit says, use what God has done in your life. This is your main thing. Don't let anything sway you from it. Otherwise, it's vain. The church at Corinth, so many of them had been distracted with all these other issues that they were doing nothing with the grace of God, and it was void. Not that the grace was void, but their application of it, their, their usage of it, they were distracted from what they needed to be doing. And so just five, five quick points today of what we should be undistracted from from this. And we'll move through these pretty quickly. We could dig deeper into the text, but I want to get the whole text. The first one, if we're to become undistracted from the main thing, if we're to be an undistracted church, the first thing is we need to be undistracted in seeking God. Undistracted in seeking God. Your relationship with God and growing in him is more important than this world and what this world has to offer. Again, it's Vision Sunday. I'm not going to say anything new today. You all know this. This is the signpost that reminds us, oh, yeah, maybe we haven't made a priority of this. In 2021, we need to make this a priority. Your relationship with God is more important than anything this world can offer. And we know that in our heads, but my, my prayer is that we get that into our hearts. How do we believe that? And, and go back to 20 and 21, the verses we already read. We implore you on behalf of Christ, we urge you, I mean, there's a strength to this, be reconciled to God. Focus on that relationship with God. And then he goes on to share the gospel. This is where I want to bring in Psalm a little, Psalms a little bit and Psalm 119. And I put this in your notes because what's interesting is Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, right? And, and so, um, and almost every verse talks about the word of God, the commandments of God, the, the principles of God, something dealing with the word. What was interesting is I was studying another theme in the chapter. At least five of the verses say you need to have a whole heart seeking God. And so the, the psalmist there is tying the application of God's word to seeking God. Psalm 119.10 says, with my whole heart I seek you. And you could translate that with an undivided heart I seek you or an undistracted heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And so when we, when we look, jump down to 34, and, and again, you can just read it in your notes. 34 through 37 comes back to this and gives us just this idea of what it means to seek God. What it means to practice the spiritual disciplines, to enjoy them. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. There's the whole heart, an undistracted heart, an undivided heart. Lord, help me do this. Help me find a way to do this. Our strength for this comes from the Lord. And then 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. And catch the words of this psalm because it's not just lead me in the words of your commandment because I grudgingly am going to do it because I, I don't. Do you catch delight? 
the prayer here is, God, help me to delight in doing the spiritual disciplines. Help me to delight every time I open up your word and read it. Don't be distracted by other delights. If we're to pursue and be undistracted in our walk with God, we have to watch what other delights we're letting in our our life because those other delights will crowd out delighting in the Lord and his words. When we read God's word, when we hear God's word, do we get distracted? If we do, it's because we're not delighting in it. We're not enjoying it. The word can become ho-hum because how can the word compete with movies? How can the word compete with TV? How can the word compete with video games or music or board games? It's boring. Well, it's not. It's not. The problem is we, we've delighted in the wrong things, and what we delight in, we start to focus on. What we delight in, we start to enjoy. It, it's like the kids who stuff themselves with candy 10 minutes before dinner. Well, we've stuffed ourselves with the world's delights, and they've spoiled our, ourselves from the meat of God's word. And so if we're to be undistracted and seeking God, it's not just, oh, I have to read my Bible more, it's going to be hard. But maybe we should look at what we're delighting in and take away some of the worldly delights. Maybe we should carve out space for God's word by carving out space from the world. Maybe those things are strangling our heart for God, like the parable of the sower, like Jesus says in the parable of the sower. And so lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. And village, let's delight in God's word and in the spiritual disciplines. The next verse says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And so incline there is make, make it a priority to seek God's word to his testimonies. And, and, and testimonies there includes all of God's word, but all of the things about God his character, and the stories of what he's done. Incline my heart to those things and not to selfish gain. The word for selfish there is to be concerned with one's own profit or pleasure at the expense of the consideration of others. Think about that. And and ask ourselves the question, if we're undistracted, am I inclined to my own pleasure or wants or, or thoughts at the expense of considering others. And this is a call to not be distracted by self-centeredness or by stuff, the selfish gain by things around us. Rather, focus on his word and his testimonies, who God is. And verse 37 there in Psalm 119, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Isn't that just a great statement? And that's why that's the memory verse today. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And the challenge here, if we're to be wholeheartedly seeking God, don't be distracted by worthless things. And and these may not even be sinful, but they might be empty, insubstantial things, things that don't matter. If we consume ourselves with those, we're not consuming ourselves with seeking God. See, we, we look at those things, we consume ourselves with things that we think will make us happy, that we think will fulfill us. The, the wording here is actually an allusion to idols, to idolatry, things we put as more important to God because we think they're going to do something for us. Well, to quote a number of speakers now, when we make even good things the ultimate things, we're serving idols. There's only one ultimate thing, 
and that's seeking God and doing his work. That's the main thing. That psalm there, the end of 37, and give me life in your ways, the, the implication, the opposite of that is looking at worthless things sucks the life out of us. It does nothing to give us life. But seeking God in his word gives us life. And so if we're to be an undistracted church, the first part is we have to be undistracted in seeking God. That has to be a priority. That has to be something we love and delight in, like we see back in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Um, Second thing we need to be undistracted in is our time. We need to be undistracted in our time. We need to have the reality of the urgency of the times and the urgency of the gospel in mind. Do you believe that time is short and people need the gospel? Do we really believe that time is short and people need the gospel? Verse 2, jumping back to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. And and Paul here is quoting Isaiah 49.8, one of the the servant um, poems there, where they are looking forward to the deliverance of the Lord. So this is a forward-looking thing. God's going to save us someday. And and that was comforting for a, a people that were in exile, and it was pointing to when God would bring them out of exile, when God would save them. But Paul now is using this today, so he says, for, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I helped you. And then I love Paul's answer to that. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And, and what Paul is doing here is there's a sense of urgency. We're no longer waiting for salvation. Jesus has come. We're in that point between Jesus' first coming and second coming, which could be this afternoon. And so there is an urgency of timing here that says now's the time to be ambassadors. You have a short time to be ambassadors for the gospel. Make it count because it could end today. It could end tomorrow. And so that neighbor that needs Jesus, now is the day of salvation. For people watching, for people here If you haven't committed to Jesus, now is the time to do that because we don't know the the length of time we'll have this opportunity. The gospel is here. Don't sit around waiting is what Paul is saying. So think about this. If we're an undistracted church, we need to be undistracted in our time and how we choose to spend our time. We can be distracted by apathy and laziness on one side, right? Especially after COVID, you just want to sit on the couch. And just rest. <laughs> and we, so we can, we can be distracted by apathy and laziness, or we can be distracted by busyness. Both are distractions of time that keep us from the main things. And so this is a call to evaluate our schedules, to evaluate our calendars, to evaluate our priorities. Do we have a sense of urgency for the gospel? You know, I have to say urgency is very refining, isn't it? What I mean by that is it it makes us evaluate our schedules. Going back a year and a half, when we got Susie's diagnosis, that created an urgency that changed all all of our view. (laughs) Urgency that changed our view of time. It changed our schedule because this now was the priority of what we had to deal with. Well, I think that's what Paul's trying to get here, get us to think through for the gospel here, The time is short and people need Christ. 
The day of salvation is now. And so, village, I'm calling us to look at our time and to put a priority on the gospel. Put a priority on doing Christ's work. On being ambassadors for him. We get into verse 3. And, and I could have put th- points 3 and 4 together, but I didn't. So we have 5. Point number 3, be undistracted in your testimony. Be undistracted in your testimony. Make sharing and not hindering the gospel a normal core of your thinking. I have to wait for it to start. There we go. We need to be undistracted in the priority of the gospel over self. In verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And he expands on that later in his writings, but he's saying, we're not going to put any obstacle to the gospel. We are going to be all things to all people so that we may win some. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And and so this is saying, as we go through life, the, the question we should be asking isn't self and what do I have a right to do or what do I want to do. The question is, how will this affect my testimony? That's a better question. That's an undistracted question to the main thing. You know, I used to always use a, an illustration. I haven't used it in a while. But if I was to take a pastorate in a, in a town that was a Coke bottler, okay, and in a, small towns, if, they're, if they are built on an industry, that industry is almost God for them. I mean, so if I, if I went to a town and took a, took a pastorate, a, a town that it's just a Coke bottler, everyone drinks Coke, everyone works at the factory, I probably don't drink Dr. Pepper in that town. And, and you guys know me and Dr. Pepper. <laughs> you, you've seen my office and the collection. But, quite frankly, if that's going to get in the way of ministry, if that's going to be a hindrance to someone hearing the gospel, I will gladly not drink Dr. Pepper. And I will struggle through Coke. <laughs> because what's more important, me drinking what I want to drink or a soul coming into the kingdom? that's how important this is. And and that's something, it's not wrong to drink Dr. Pepper. It would be my right. I would have the freedom to do it. And, And so many times in America, we can be, well, that's my personal freedom. I deserve to do this. That's the wrong question. That's a distracting question. The question is, what does this do to our testimony and ministry? And we see that over and over in Paul's writings. Think about your interactions with your neighbors. If they are constantly angry about you parking your car in front of their house, is it worth standing on your rights that that's a public parking spot and I should get to park there? Or is it worth moving the car so you're not hindering the gospel? Sorry, I I don't know of any situations that people are laughing about, but right? What's more important? At times... I've talked with policy about people, or I've been with family, and politics have come up. And there are times that I know I can blast that person and I can win that argument because they are just completely ignorant of reality. Sorry, that you get my tone there a little bit. And there are times that I've chosen to engage that argument and that discussion with a family member that isn't a believer. And it has completely shut down the relationship 
and close the door for the gospel. But hey, I was right politically. Do you see what, what Paul, the point Paul's making about being undistracted from the gospel? And praise God, there's other times I've, I've kept my mouth shut, usually with Susie kicking my foot or something, and kept those relationships. Being undistracted in our testimony means having a different reason for the decisions we met, make. So l- let, me, let, me, let me step on toes and get real. We have all kinds of mask decisions, right? And mask debates. And I'm not answering that this morning. I'm not going to tell you whether you should or should not wear a mask. But let me ask you this. If it meant someone coming to Christ, would you wear a mask? I'd wear 10 if it meant someone coming to Christ. That might be harder to talk, but... There might be a difference between what I can agree on with a brother or sister in Christ and what a discussion I can have There's a difference between that and what my discussions and testimony is with an unbeliever. We can be right and distracted from the main thing. And again, I'm not saying we should or shouldn't wear masks. I'm saying we need to leave the option open depending on the sensitivity of the situation. I have other neighbors that maybe wearing a mask would destroy my testimony. The point is, the question comes down to what advances the gospel, not how can I be right. That's the main thing, and being undistracted from the main thing. Four and five, we need to get through the rest of the text. Four, be undistracted from your circumstances by focusing on your mission and purpose. Be undistracted from your circumstances by focusing on your mission and purpose. Look for ways to use distractions for the main thing rather than excuses to check out. So there are all kinds of circumstances that that have happened. So we are having to meet outside. And and like Deborah talked about this morning, we're, we're having to meet outside. And we can get upset about that. We can get angry about that. We can say we shouldn't have to. Or we could use that for advancement of the gospel in the main thing. And so we've decided the gospel is so important that every week we're going to sing songs about the gospel and make sure it's part of our teaching because who knows who might be listening. And so we are going to keep the main thing the main thing and use our circumstances for that. Who knows what God, how God might use your circumstances? Might God use your difficulties to open doors for the gospel? Let's read on in, in 2 Corinthians 6 and look at the example of Paul. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And commend there is the idea of we use this to advance our testimony. We use this to support our testimony. We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And in case we think we have it bad, this is Paul's list. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Paul says, those are some of the things I'm going to use to commend my ministry to you, to commend my testimony to you. he, he, He expands on this list in chapter 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? Am I a better one? I am talking like a man man with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. And he goes on from there. 2020 is looking pretty good, huh? (laughs) And Paul said, those things, those circumstances are not going to distract me from the main thing. In fact, I'm going to use them to commend myself to you, to commend the gospel, to show the gospel. Some of you have been blessed by having to quarantine multiple times. Well, maybe people will look at you and say, why aren't you angry about that? And you can talk about the hope that God has given you. Or maybe you can use that time to pray, connect with people online. We need to start thinking of distractions as ways to be about the main thing. How can you use your job situation? How can you use your health situation? We get to the last part of the chapter. Be undistracted in your love for each other in the church. Be undistracted for your love for each other in the church. So we've talked about being undistracted in our our walk with God, being undistracted in our mission, mission, and the middle three sort of go to that. And this has to do now with how we treat each other. Has 2020 given some, heart, some, some opportunities to not treat each other well? To not think of each other well? It's given some opportunities to argue, to disagree, sometimes in the right way, sometimes not in the right way. And Paul here in the next section deals with character traits, with spirit, spirit-filled graces that affect our interactions with each other. So we need to be undistracted in our love for each other in the church. Pursue spirit-given graces in your interactions without being distracted by how others act or treat you. Verse 6. And he's again talking about how to be about the main thing. How do we commend our testimonies? He now moves to these traits of how we treat each other. By purity, which means guiltless conduct toward people. By knowledge, understanding people. By patience, by kindness. And right in the middle there is the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, that's not a character trait. I think it's a reminder that all these things are actually done by the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are fruit of the Spirit. It's his power. The Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. This is a description of a number of character traits of how God's people should treat each other. Guiltless conduct, patience, kindness, genuine love, spirit-filled interactions, truthful speech. And so 2021 for us, Village, is coming also back and refocusing on how are we doing at body life? How are we doing at loving one another? It's easy with the people that agree with us. How am I doing at, at loving the people that disagree? And we can say, well, that they might not treat me well. They might not do that for me, and I'm just responding. And that's where 8 through 10 goes. Because Paul says we do this through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters, and yet we are true. And now he gets into how, how people treat him wrongly versus how a godly view of him. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live 
as punished or beaten and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And if we understand the context here, Paul is saying, act in a a way of spirit-given graces towards each other, loving, patient, kindness, no matter how they treat you, and no matter the circumstances. That's not your concern. That's God's. Treat them in a godly way anyway. And Paul says, even when we're dishonored and slandered, maybe for our Christianity, even when we're told we're fake and hypocrites, we focus on being true. Even when we don't fit in in this world and don't get any notoriety here, we are fully known to God. Even when we're viewed as dying relics in this world, feel that way sometimes? We live forever with the God of the universe. Even when we're punished and beaten, they can't kill us. This world can't kill us. Even when things get us down, we can rejoice in the Lord. Oh, village, we're to be undistracted by these things. And this comes back to none of these things are to distract us from what we should be doing. Rather, how can I use those distractions to serve God? How can I minimize my focus on the distractions? That might mean limiting social media, maybe down from 12 hours to three, or 30 minutes, or 30 seconds. Maybe it's limiting our news and pundit intake, because that just works us up and distracts us. Some of you are posting a verse of the day on Facebook. I want you to know you're helping me. You're helping me keep a focus and keep the main thing the main thing. Undistracted. That is our goal for this year as a church. Because distractions can be as effective as sin as keeping us from God. Because they are sin. So may we be undistracted in seeking God. May we be undistracted in our time. May we be undistracted in our testimony, undistracted by circumstances, and undistracted in our love for each other. As worship team comes up, because I'd like to finish by singing Be Thou My Vision, I want to just read a story that I thought was very appropriate. Some years ago, London Transit Authority was receiving a lot of complaints because their buses were driving past customers who were standing at bus stops. That's a problem, right? Yeah, (laughs) Phil, yeah, absolutely. The Transit Authority put an explanation in the paper that has become infamous with public relations departments. The explanation said, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. Clearly, the company had forgotten its purpose. A distraction of maybe a good goal kept them from doing what was important. Village, let's be undistracted in the main things. Let's seek God. Let's do his work. The bottom of your notes, I have some verses. I just encourage you to read those each day of this week as part of your quiet time. And it'll help us this whole week think about being undistracted and think about being a church sold out to know God and to do his work.